1: This episode of Agave Road Trip is
2: brought to you by FlaskFineWines.com. Now, you might think from that name, FlaskFineWines.com, that they sell fine wines, and they certainly do. But they also have a selection of Uncertified Heritage Agave Spirits. You know, the stuff we talk about almost every episode. You live somewhere where it's tough to find mezcal, let alone Uncertified Agave Spirits? Stick around after this episode to find out how FlaskFineWines.com can help you get the good stuff. Stuff. But for now, strap yourself in for another episode of A Gave Road Trip. I am Bank. I am Chava Perivan, and this is Agave Road Trip, the podcast that helps gringo bartenders better understand agave, agave spirits, and rural Mexico. And today, Chava, I want to jump deeper into the 400 decisions that Mescaleros make
3: during the process of creating these beautiful spirits. And this is... Quite a specific one, but uh, I think we agree that in very mysterious ways, it has a great effect on the final product and it's, yeah yeah, absolutely uh, absolutely, and it's just basically that moment between you roasted your agave, you're about to mill it, and what happens in between right yeah, yeah.
2: well that's just the key. you use the word moment and, and and certainly, if we're talking about uh, the evolution of the human species or the evolution of the world itself. Then we are talking
3: a moment. But sometimes that moment will be a month or more. If we're talking about human evolution, maybe I'm mean, two thousand years. But uh <laughs> <laughs> but right, but that's that's what I'm saying. It's all perspective. So I guess I guess you could
2: say a moment, but really, like to me, the fascinating part is you you sometimes you don't even pull the agave out of the oven right so del Mage has this tobala expression it fascinates me that the uh, the mescalero leaves the tobala in the uh, the orno in the the oven underground for 30
3: days after putting it in 30 days yes and then we asked about that to Felix Angeles and he was like no 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 that is horrific. The smell that is going to come out of that <laughs> is going to be terrible. But then again, like whose nose are we to trust? Either that producer or Felix knows.
2: Well, and yeah, you know, I, this is something that we see a lot, right? When we travel around rural Mexico is this person's doing that. That's wrong. This is the right way. Because then Felix does something that nobody else we've talked to has done, which is, yes, he'll let it sit for 30 days, but above ground. Right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But but not uh, every type of agave. Yeah. We were very specifically speaking with Felix about the habali, And the habali is this legendary uh, (laughs) agave that for decades, hundreds of years, people thought you could not use it to make spirits because it foams
3: so much. When you're fermenting, when you're distilling, it foams. Which is mutant behavior by all means. But it's also every time we ask to any producer about habali they will always shrug. They're like, oh, another freaking gringo that is looking for the Javali. Like <laughs> it has become this treasure hunt where everybody really wants some Javali. And just the producers are like, it has the worst efficiency ever. It's a pain to meal. It's a pain to work with. And the foam, just the, like, I, even with, uh when we're in Misteca Alta, when mm-hmm. uh, Franco, Jesus Franco, told us that once they were carrying the Havali in the truck, it started raining and the guy started foaming inside the pickup. (laughs) (laughs) And they were like, we hadn't even started to work. It was already making a mess.
2: Oh it's the rabid the rabbit agave. So so Felix when we brought this to him his he, he, what he said was to mitigate that foaming he will leave the agave out the hop, just the habali leave that out for 30 days after roasting and before milling and he said that that helps to reduce the foam both during fermentation and
3: distillation. Let's listen to him first say this and then I have so many questions about this because it just, it just really blows my mind from a science perspective. So, we hear Felix Angeles in Santa Catarina, Minas, talking a little bit more in detail about the jabali.
0: Agave jabali
3: needs to stay above ground for at least 25 to 30 days because if you cook it and then try to mill it the next day, you won't get any mezcal from it. There are many agaves that behave like that, and if you don't know their ways, you'll just end up ruining them. The Havali foam will always be there, regardless if the agave is sweet or not. When distilling it, depending on how intense the fire under the steel is, it will foam up. The bigger the fire, the more foam you get. That is why Havali prefers to be distilled with a very gentle flame. Okay, so you know, there you go. Like, th- It's
2: amazing the particulars of how somebody goes about doing the things that he does, and it, it does. And in this case, I think specifically when you're talking about Felix's process, I get the sense that this is something he figured out, not something that he learned from his father.
3: Oof, I, I don't know, too, because also, and I was, as I was saying, one of my biggest questions is how did they figure out that living the agave Above ground for thirty days was not only going to mitigate the foam, but also it was going to give them better yields. Because what he said is that a lot of the beginners they buy this type of agave because it's fashionable right now and people are looking for it, but then they have yields that are completely absurd and it just becomes. A, and when I say absurd, is they can get a ton of agave and have two liters out of it, right? Which is just economically crazy. So I don't know, Lou. Like, like how? Like how? Hey. Uh, here are my questions. And, uh, and and I'll share one of your questions, uh, which is like, how did they figure this out? And B, I really do not understand what is the effect of living it outside. I said like, you'll have some microbial dry fermentation action, but I do not understand why will that give you better yields? And why would that reduce foaming at all? Well, you know, so, so
2: I'm not certain that it would actually give better yields. Um, I I suspect, and this is just a theory, right? That by... I think there's there's a bacteria that's going in and eating some of that enzyme that creates the foam. This is just my theory as a scientist. <laughs> that you've you've got the this bacteria that's eating the saponins exactly that it's eating up the saponins. Thank you. Um, and that's mitigating the foam. And then I would suggest that you're getting the higher yield because before he did this, and and before he mitigated the foam, you literally were losing the sugars, and the alcohols during the foaming. That literally it was blowing out of the container. So it's not actually better yields. It's just you're keeping more of it in the, the ferment and then in the distillation. That's my theory.
3: This is the first time that I'm going to take my hat off and give you the <laughs> scientist batch for today.
2: I'll tell you, you know, like I, I may not be the most scientifically studied person, but I think I actually do approach the world in a scientific way. Right? <laughs> I have a lot of questions. I think it's my Jewish heritage. I have a lot of questions and I'm willing to keep asking those questions until I get an answer that seems plausible and i think that's sort of what you have to do when you're traveling to these communities because the you know the the lack of communication not only from one community to the next but literally from one mescalero to the next mescalero within the same
3: community can be it can be non-existent well absolutely and they're always calculating right all of them they think you're asking stuff because you, you might try to negotiate price later. Like, they know why, why are you asking those questions. So I don't think it's, uh, it's not only that there's a, uh, everything is oral history. So, of course, there's, there are asymmetric versions of stuff. But I also think they're very careful. You know, they're really always calculating, like, who's this guy and why is he asking this? And who's going to he go and talk afterwards?
2: Well, you know, and, and to <laughs> your point, that's, also I think how they approach this entire process it's it's not so different I think from how I approach the world when I say that I'm not a studied scientist I think most of these men and women are also not studied scientists but they learn from their experience and so they've learned from experience that they have to be cautious about what information they give out and what it's going to be used for and they've learned from experience that if they pay attention to the details of things they might actually find a better route to the end result they're looking for so you know the the question is how does a felix analyst figure out that he leaves this out for 30 days and he gets this better result this lesser foam and this greater um uh, uh yield you know i and i think the answer is by trying you just keep trying stuff. It's sort of how, like, it's sort of how a kid learns to play a video game. You just you keep hitting buttons until you finally find the right combination. And I think these uh, these men and women are just significantly more patient about these processes to do that. But then also, you know, the other side of it is. They have these incredible palates that would make any of them, I think, world-class chefs if that was the path they chose because they, they have this palate memory that allows them to do these things, wait 30 days, and then find that result and then remember that that was the thing they did that gave them that palate result in their production.
3: And also to cross-analyze because they know that what they did in fermentation, it's it's being affected by distillation, and that's really hard. Yeah. You know, to know, like, some decision you took really back in the process is now making these other things further away. And the other thing, too, and just talking more about this capacity of their palates, is dry fermentation exists in almost every town that I've ever visited, and there's always the situation where it's like how much mold would they allow it to be there there's people that hate the mold Mm -hmm. we know producers that will never allow for mold to be it and they will sometimes even because Because the (laughs) mold is wrong it's wrong (laughs) absolute truths absolute truths uh and then there's others that actually like it pretty heavy on the moldy side even if it's not to reduce foam or even if it doesn't have a practical application, just the flavor profile that comes out of a longer dry fermentation is more pleasing for them. So, And, and it will just be for specific
2: agaves. Like you go to Victor Ramos's place and Victor will do it with this Karwinski, but not that Karwinski. It's not even like everyone from that species is going to have the same treatment and like again that speaks to me to that that palate memory that is just so remarkable and and again to like pull back to that 30,000 foot view it speaks to those 400 decisions they make during that entire process that that creates these spirits that are so unique from batch to batch to batch and yet so delicious from in different ways from batch to batch to batch
3: yes and if we ever do a tasting about this that I would love to have that something that has been dry fermented for ten days, fifteen days, twenty days, twenty-five, oh. and just try the four oh, or five God. different options. Once this
2: pandemic is over, that you know that's one of the things that we're going to do. The first things that we're going to do is ask a, a mescalero to put that kind of side by side tasting together for us. <laughs>
3: so excited! Please, beers die right away. Uh, The fastest you can. Amen.
2: Okay, let's wrap this one up, Chava. I think we've covered it as much as possible. And uh, let's look forward to the next episode. Adios. Hang on, road trippers. We're not done yet. We've got an episode of Chava and Lou's Chat Fest coming up. Hello. What What is it that you're drinking today? It's a Tobala made in 2015 by Victor Ramos, Chava. It's delicious.
3: Wow, this is strange. You don't normally drink when we're recording. What's up, Lou? Well,
2: what's up is we're recording an ad for flaskfinewines.com, the sponsor of this episode. And we're very specifically recording an ad highlighting the fact that flaskfinewines.com will ship heritage agave spirits, meaning the stuff that's not certified anywhere in the USA. So I thought it called for
3: a bit of the good stuff. But I thought you only had good stuff at your place.
2: Well, uh, that's true. I like it. Therefore, it's the good stuff. And the stuff I tend to like most... Is the stuff that is made in super small batches of fewer than 240 liters, then bottled in the exact same form in which it is consumed in the community where it's made, not changing anything to meet the standards of the bodies that certify mezcal, tequila,
3: or the other DOs. Not that there's anything wrong with all that, right? Right. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Okay. okay. But people should get to chase those uncertified spirits to see if maybe that is what they really, really like, no? Exactly, Chava. But if you're
2: outside of a handful of major cities in the USA, it can be hard to find certified mezcal, Mm. let alone these small batch releases that aren't certified. That's where flaskfinewines.com
3: comes in. Flaskfinewines.com has a selection of heritage gabe spirits released by some of our favorite brands like Malbien, Cinco Sentidos, and Mesoncha, to just name a few. Yeah, and also La Locura, La Venenosa, and Amor
2: Mata, as well as a super wide selection of our favorite certified mezcal brands. And they'll ship anywhere in the USA. Right you are, Chava. So, if you're one of those folks looking for heritage agave spirits or mezcal or tequila or really any specific alcohol, check out flaskfinewines.com. Flaskfinewines.com offers nationwide shipping of fine wines and spirits within the USA. And they're a sponsor of Agave Road Trip. Thanks a lot, Flaskfinewines.com <laughs> This is Chava and Luz Chat Fest chatting you up for three minutes, baby. Are you ready to be chatted? So, Chava, in this chat fest, you are going to attempt to come up with a subject about which you can chat that I will not have a story <laughs> that that makes you cringe. Is that is am I correct? Is
3: that the goal for this chat fest? Well, like for, yes, like I, that has been my goal for every chat fest <laughs> that we had had so far. And what I'm starting to believe is that it doesn't exist such a thing. Like it doesn't matter what I suggest or where I want to take the conversation to. Uh, and maybe that's the blessing that we talk about agave spirits, that that sort of... It keeps me out of the gutter if I'm talking yeah, about yeah, agave yeah,
2: spirits, yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah, because there's like, it's so linked to things that you respect and you have like such strong like honorable emotions linked to that you just <laughs> cannot do that. So I need to find that. And I I know Pokemon is not gonna make the trick. I know uh okay, I so I need to come up with something, right? Yes. Yes you do. What about no, I mean I was gonna say laser surgery, but that's definitely gonna take you to that horrible place. Laser surgery. Yeah.
2: I you know actually I've got I've got one laser it's not even I'm not even sure if it's laser surgery. No no, stuff, no, but no no it's not uh it's not creepy.
3: It's just gross. Oh yeah, that's a, that's what that's what I didn't want. No, I, and that was a terrible idea. What about candles?
2: Okay, do a candle story now. Like, let's see if it prompts something on my end to discuss you. But you
3: know that that is the point where I don't even want to talk about things because I, I I'm just scared. Like I, I start getting all nervous about that if I'm gonna touch some part of your memory <laughs> that it's uh, gonna make something horrible. And it's not even a story about candles. It's just they have a. So, you know, uh, Oaxaca has a lot of things. One of my jokes about Oaxaca is that it's, if you live there long enough and you're working with artisans, it's like making a PhD on materials and techniques. Okay. It's like, it has like such a vast diversity on that. And one of my favorite things they do in Teotitlan del Valle, Mm -hmm. which is more famous for making rocks, is candles. And... You know how Oaxacans can be very Baroque and Rococo in the way they approach making? Like, this is one of the things you say a lot. They never go for the easy route. So usually when you make candles, you work with gravity, right? You sink something in a a bucket or something that has hot wax, and then Mm -hmm. you, like, start stretching it up and the candle forms. Yeah. These guys work the other way around. They drip hot wax on a string... (laughs) And just slowly make that wax attach to the string until the shape of the candle is formed. Oh, that's lovely. It's insane. It's insane amount of work. But it reminds me
2: of a story. Oh no. Oh no. (laughs) No, no, no. No, it's not creepy though. It's not creepy. It's it actually I think it's an insight into um into, into my personality. The development of my personality. When I was in junior high school, so I would have been, I don't know, like uh, let's say 11 years old or 12 years old. I, uh, I I had some wax drippings from a candle that I brought in to the school uh, and showed to all of my friends. And I told them that it was, um, fr- it was wax from the set of the movie The Incredible Melting Man because I wanted everybody to come and look at this wax and then be impressed with... It was sort of a P.T. Barnum thing. Like, it's nothing, but I'll make it into something. (laughs) And did it work? It did. It did. But I couldn't hold this... Like, I thought it was so funny that I had tricked people that I told them I tricked them, which is sort of the self-defeat that P.T. Barnum never suffered from.
3: Okay, but I mean, this is lovely. You got a story. It was simple. It was short. It did not last eight minutes. (laughs) And it was over, <laughs> and it's done. And, and we are finally going to be almost at the three-minute mark with, the chas- with this chat fest. Five minutes, it's okay. great. And, and nothing nothing vulgar. Nothing vulgar. Who will have thought? Candles. I, I need, I'll go. come with another one someday, sometime. <laughs> sounds, sounds, sounds good, That's Hasta pronto. Adios. This has been Agave Road Trip, the podcast that helps gringo bartenders learn about agave spirits. Your hosts are Lou Bank and Chava Peribán. Sound engineering by Roy Sierra. Theme song performed by Gabriel Oliveira and Marc Rico. Sign up to become a road tripper and listen to more episodes at gabrielroadtrip.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know. And if you hated it, recommend it to your enemies. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Lou is in charge of our social media. So if he happens to sound like an old man, forgive him. He is one. Agave Road Trip is a production of 10 Angry Pitbulls, Inc.
1: Agave Road Trip is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. To subscribe to the Heritage Radio Network newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with Heritage Radio Network on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find Heritage Radio Network at facebook.com slash network.